And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is God's word, and you may be seated. Thank you, Sid. Please keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2. And inside of the announcement sheet, you'll find an outline that you can use to follow along and some blanks to fill in and maybe to take some notes. As we go through this study, press our mind into Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And uh, before we do that, we want to follow uh, our custom as it comes to studying the Word of God, and that is to begin by asking God to bless us in this study. And let's pray together. Let's bow our heads and join our hearts. Father, as we approach this, this text this morning, we pray that you give us a sense of peace and a sense of calm on the inside. We want to approach this text, Father, with listening ears and with seeing eyes. And to this end, we pray that you give us eyes that see and ears that hear. We pray also, Father, that you give us a heart that yields, that, that yields, Father, to your will. And a heart that is receptive. A heart that is ready to catch these words, Father, in such a way that they go all the way down into the very center of us, that it triggers something inside of us, that it, that it melts us, that it, it radically transforms us, that we are changed, Father. And we find ourselves wanting to abide in Your presence at all times for the greatness of Your love and the mercy and the present, Father, of this incarnation, Your Son. Bless us, Father, as we, we think about these words and then endeavor to live them all the days of our life. Their meaning and their impact, we pray, Father, to be so great upon us. We pray this, Father, with, with all of our heart, in the name of Jesus, and all the church said. I want to begin with a story about 
some monks that are living in a remote monastery in a deep, deep, dark wood. And they followed a rigid vow of silence. And the rule was you couldn't speak at any time. This, this monastery was void of any human communication for 365 days. The vow could only be broken once a year, and that was on Christmas Day, and then only by one monk. So one Christmas rolls around, and a fellow by the name of Brother Thomas stands up at the, at the, the dinner that night. He has his turn to break the silence. And he says, Brothers, I want you to know that I adore, I love these delightful mashed potatoes that we have every year with the Christmas roast. And with that, he sat down and silence ensued for 365 days. And then the next Christmas rolled around a year later, and this Christmas, Brother Michael got up. It was his turn to break the silence. And he stands up at the dinner and he says, Brothers, I want you to know how much I hate those mashed potatoes that they serve with the Christmas roast every year. And then he sits down and there is silence for 365 days. And then Christmas rolls around again. They're having dinner. This following Christmas, it's Brother Paul's time to stand up. And he gets up and he says, Brothers, I am sick and fed up with the constant bickering over the mashed potatoes. No, I don't know what the moral of the story is, but it's probably if you can't find peace in a monastery, where are you going to find peace on earth? Well, friends, the birth of peace is found in the birth of a baby. The birth of peace is found in the birth of a baby, a Savior. A Savior in Bethlehem. There is this angel that appears to these shepherds. And he says in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest heaven. Glory to God in the highest heaven. He's praising God for what He's about to say to them. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. What a great text. Luke 2 with the angels and the shepherds and the nativity scene and all of that. Luke chapter 2 is the most famous chapter in the entire Bible and all of the Gospels about the birth of Jesus. It's the most famous in the world of the Christmas passages. And there are three things in this text that that Sid read for us, that kind of jump out at us. The first is the reality of fear. The fear that we have in our heart. Secondly, the possibility of peace. That's the thing that we're all looking for. And then the third thing, and maybe the most important thing, the importance of hearing. How is it that you hear the Word of God? How is it that you hear God's message to you? Well, let's begin with the reality of fear. Let's talk a little bit about the fear that all of us experience from time to time. Do you know how much my wife loves me? Back in 1982, the year we got married, I talked her, I convinced her to go to an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with me. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's not her thing. and She doesn't really care about that, but she loves me. And she wanted to please me. We're getting married. And so we go to this Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. And so I go, thanks, babe. We go, we pay for the tickets. We get the popcorn. We sit down. We're sitting together. We're holding hands. It's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. You've got to hold hands. And the lights begin to dim, and the movie starts, and it didn't take but about 30 seconds to a minute before I realized that we were not in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Accidentally, at least that's her story, and she's sticking with it. (laughs) Accidentally, we walked into E.T. We walked into E.T., and the first time this guy shows up on the screen, you know the story, he's a little space alien, he's lost, he needs to get back home. First time this guy shows up on the screen, everybody went, oh. 
And it, it is so cute and so sweet. Even the little boy, Elliot, feels pity for this, this creature and tries to get it home and helps it. Now, one of the things that you find when you read the Bible is that when God or one of God's emissaries show up, it's not an ah moment. These people are terrified. In verse 9, there's this single angel that shows up. And all of these shepherds, which are kind of hombres, I mean, they're out there in the wilderness. They're not the most savory individual. In fact, they're, 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 they're sort of desperado types uh, to be a shepherd in this day and age and to be where they are. These guys are hombres. And the, the angel shows up and they're terrified. Luke says, literally, they are megaphobic, which means that they have a fear that is beyond fear. In the old King Jimmy, says they're sore afraid. That's what that, that means. When you read that in the old King James, the sore afraid means that they are megaphobic. My dad used to say they were scared spitless. In the Bible, when people are afraid like this, and this is not just typical fear, this is, this is mega fear, megaphobia. This is what the Bible says. They want the mountains to jump up and to fall down on top of them. They are so scared that they want the earth to swallow them up and to hide them from God. That's what happens all the time when divinity appears. People are petrified. People are terrified out of their minds. Why? Why? When God shows up, are people petrified? Well, I think the answer goes back to Genesis chapter 3. There's Adam and Eve in the garden with God, literally with God, and they have no fear. And they're walking around in that garden on a daily basis, and they're meeting God, and they're spending time with God, and there's no fear. And then you get to Genesis chapter 3, and that serpent shows up, and the lie of the serpent goes deep, deep, deep down into their hearts. And the serpent lies to him and he says, you don't have to trust God. You don't have to trust God. You won't die. God has lied to you. God knows that you're not going to die. In fact, if you were to eat this fruit, you can be your own master. And you're not going to be happy unless you're like God. And you separate yourself from that God. And what's the first thing that happened after they ate that fruit? They begin to fear. Look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 10. It's up on the screen. God's looking for him, and he calls out because he can't find him. It's a strange thing. God is looking for his creatures, the people, his friends that he has a relationship with, can't find him, and he calls out, why in the world were you hiding? And Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I was, say it, church, afraid. I was afraid. I had fear. The lack of trust that produced separation, that sin that produced separation from God, is what creates that base note of human fear. It's the essence of human fear. And you think about that. We fear failure. We fear failure. We fear rejection. We fear death. We even fear the future. We're afraid of losing the sun in our face. And you know what? We die. There are a lot of us that just die daily and die constantly if we're not constantly getting love from other people. I mean, we're just dying daily if somebody is not bolstering up and, and propping up our esteem. And the bottom line is we're masters. We chose. We're masters. But deep down we know that we control nothing. Nothing. We are our own masters. And deep, deep, Deep down, we know that we're not qualified for that job. It's like 
if you've ever gotten a job or known somebody that has gotten a promotion at work, and it's a job that they've worked hard at and it's a promotion that they wanted, but when they got there, they have been promoted above their skill set. They've been promoted above their abilities. And they want the job, and they do it every day, and they show up, and they work hard, and they sweat, and they, they go home with work, and they take the briefcase wherever they go, and the cell phone is never that far away. But they live in fear that somebody's going to figure out that they're not qualified for the job. They live in a constant terror that somebody, everybody, someone, especially the boss, is going to find out that they're a fraud when it comes to that job. That's what we're afraid of. Now you say we're not afraid. We are deep down. There's a, there's a fear. There is an undercurrent of fear that is the stream below, beneath everything. It's that anxiety. It's that fear that's the product of sin. And that's why when God shows up, we're afraid, quite frankly. That's why when God shows up, we're afraid. It's His beauty that reveals our ugliness. We think we're beautiful until we stand next to God. It's His power that reveals our weakness. It's His glory that reveals our darkness, the darkness that's in each and every one of us. And we can't take that. And that's why we're afraid. That's why we put our nose in the dirt. That's why we call for the mountains to jump on top of us when God in all of His searing glory shows up. And this is where the birth at this point becomes good news. It's the possibility of peace to people who recognize that they're afraid. The angel appears and the shepherds hit the dirt and they try to get the earth to hide them. And the angel says, verse 10, do not be what? Afraid. I bring you good news. Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then there is, I mean, if one angel is not enough, then there's a host of angels appear and they say again, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. Now for the longest time, and mainly because of the early translations, uh, we have taken this to mean that this, this message of peace is, is, is for everyone. This joy that comes is because everyone gets this kind of peace. Well, I, I don't think that the, trans, the older translations quite capture it. I think the newer translations get it. It's, the text actually says that peace comes to those on whom God's favor rests. That peace comes to people who get the message, who hear the gospel in a certain way that it goes all the way down inside of them, that they get it as good news, that they understand it. When you hear the gospel for what it is, you realize that peace with God is possible. That's the good news. When you read that early part of Romans, uh, chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, important chapters. In fact, I would encourage you to memorize those four chapters, especially chapter 8. But when you read the early part of Romans, what you realize is that humans are at war with God. And that's what Paul is trying to get everybody to understand that's ever, you know, ever read Romans. He's trying to get them to understand that we are as human beings in our natural state, in our natural heart, in our most human relationship with God, we're at war with Him. Now, most people are not going to say, I hate God and I declare war on Him. 
People don't normally do that unless they're at some level of atheism, but most people don't say, you know, I really hate God, I declare war on Him. Most of the time when people are irreligious, it is overt. They say, I want to live the way that I want to live. And nobody's going to make me live in a way that I don't want to live because I want to live the way that I want to live. And so irreligious people are overtly saying, God, no. Get away, God. But then there are people who act religiously. There are these religious folk that covertly are doing the same kind of thing. They say, I'll go to church, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get my money, and I'm going to show up when the doors are open so that God will give to me the life that I want and the life that I deserve. And both of these do not trust God. And both of these are asserting independence. We cannot, whether overtly or covertly, stand the fact that He is in charge even when we try to cover it up with religious acts. The natural heart of man is filled with enmity towards God. And until we see we are hostile towards God, whether it be because we're angry with God because He's not giving us the life that we want, or we're frustrated with God because He's making us wait and wait and wait and He's not seeming to, to turn the corner the way that we want the corner to be turned, or disappointment with God, we do not understand ourselves until, until we understand that that's where our heart is in relationship with God. That there is a peace. And that's why we're afraid. And we do not understand ourselves, whether it's those overt acts that are bad in God's eyes, or those covert acts which are good deeds done for the wrong reason. We do not understand our hearts. But when you begin to see it, when you begin to see that, that at best we're phony and we're, we're, we're spiritual slobs at times, when we begin to see that truth and to turn away from the desire to have to manage our own life with our own two hands and what we can conjure up between our two ears and we see what the good news is, then there is a peace, a, a peace that is possible with God that just changes everything. A peace with humans, His creatures, is what God wants. But it depends on what you hear. Hearing well is important. I don't know if Ellen is the only one that is afflicted with this issue, but, I mean, wives, have you ever told your husband something a couple of times? You know, we've got dinner with the Johnsons Tuesday night at 8 o'clock over at such and such, only to get to Tuesday night and the husband say, what? I didn't know we were going to the Johnsons or having dinner with the Johnsons at Tuesday night. I mean, hearing is not the same thing as listening, is it? I mean, I can tell you a hundred times that Ellen has told me and told me and told me and I heard it, but I didn't really listen and therefore it didn't really register. Now look again at what the angel says to the shepherds in verse 10. The angel says to them, do not be afraid for, say it church, behold, behold, look deeply, behold, fix your gaze on it, focus on it. I bring you good news of great joy, which is for all the people. The shepherds are told to behold and it's no problem for them because they're in the searing glory of the angels. 
The shepherds then go back to Bethlehem and they find the baby and they tell everybody about what they have heard. And then they go back glorifying and praising God because it had happened just the way they, they had been told. Now, here's the deal. The angels show up to the shepherds. The shepherds get an angel. Everybody else gets a shepherd. Everybody else gets a shepherd. And there is a way that people respond to the, the ordinary way that the news comes out. And that is not the way that the angels did it, but the way that the shepherds did it. Look at verse, verses 18 and 19. All who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the, the shepherds. But, circle that word, but, it's a change in direction, it's a change in path, a change in meaning. But Mary treasured all these things, doing what, church? Pondering. Pondering them in her heart. The people are wondering about it, they're thinking about it, but Mary treasures and Mary ponders, ponders and treasures. You know, pondering is a cognitive word. It's connecting all of the dots. It's making sense of it all. It's trying to figure it out. You're pondering and pondering and pondering until the puzzle makes sense. Treasuring, on the other hand, has more to do with the heart. Treasuring, if you treasure something, you're trying to keep it alive. You know, you have all of those, those love notes or those, those love letters that you have from your wife or from your husband. And what do you do? From time to time, you go in and you get that box out and you open it up. You open up that, that string that all those letters are wrapped up in and you read them and you treasure those words up in your heart. And they, you're keeping alive those feelings of romance and the intensity of love and all of those kinds of things. It's not just the scientific way that human beings love each other, but it's the emotional part. Treasuring has to do with the heart. It's relishing it. It's reliving it. It's savoring it. And, and Mary takes it all in until she senses the reality of it. Wondering on one hand, and then treasuring and pondering, pondering and treasuring on the other. You know, Jesus, this hearing thing is so important. Jesus later in his life is going to tell a parable about a sower with some seed in his pocket. He goes out into a field and he begins to throw that seed, disperse that seed all over the place. And he says, you know, some of it fell on soil that was so hard, it was a path that it couldn't even get, you know, a, a millimeter under, you know, there was a metric system in Judaism back then. Couldn't get just a, a centimeter under the soil. And then there's another kind of soil that, you know, had a lot of rocks in it, but there was some soil there and it got a little bit more deeply embedded in the soil. And then there was this soil that was just covered up with weeds. And then there was this great soil where that seed that had life in it was able to go in and that, that, that seed was able to germinate and take root. And it gave an abundant harvest 30 and 60 and 100 times more than what anybody expected. And they go, you know what, Jesus, we don't really get that, that parable. Explain it. And Jesus says, you know, there are some kind of hearts that really receive the Word of God and it goes all the way deep down inside of them. And it becomes alive. It becomes alive to them. And it changes and, and it, 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 people blossom and, and, and there is, there is a, a greatness to their life that it's this harvest that's 30 and 50 and, and 100 times greater because of the kind of hearing that they gave to that Word. And he said, you know, there's all kinds of soil out there. There's even a soil that does not allow the Word to even penetrate the surface of the heart. And that Word gets snatched away. 
And that's what Mary is doing. That's what Mary is doing. She's treasuring and she's pondering. She's pondering and treasuring what it is that the shepherds are telling her about what the the angels have said about this baby. The peace that he brings is a possibility of peace for all people. The possibility for all people to find God once again in a way that they've never found him. And when you ponder and treasure the good news, you see a Savior that is born and you see the possibility of peace with God and you sense that fear being undermined. You know, in the the, the beginning part of Jesus' ministry, there's a story that we all know about Jesus during the middle of a storm out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. You know, the Sea of Galilee is one of those seas where one minute it can look very, very calm and then because of the way that the winds would come and there's inversion and all that kind of stuff over the, over the water, you can go from, from calm to, to gigantic waves. And Jesus and His disciples are in a boat. It's not a very big boat. It's a regular-sized boat. They're all in it. They're going across and there's this storm that hits and they're all, of afra- all afraid, all afraid that they're going to perish. There's this huge storm. They are afraid. And they turn around in the back when they finally kind of collect their wits enough to, hey, we've got Jesus with us. And where do they find Jesus? He's in the back. And what's he doing? Why is he sleeping? Why is he sleeping in the middle of a storm? Why does anybody sleep that kind of sleep? It's peace. He's at peace. And Jesus calms that storm and, and, and tells those disciples, and said, you know, why were you so worried? Why were you so afraid? Why were you, where was your faith? You know, later on, there's uh, another storm that Jesus gets thrown into. He's up there on the cross, and He's having to deal with that separation from God. He's crying out the beginning words of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is is dealing with the separation of God. And he's screaming out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know why he did that? Do you know why he was thrown into the ultimate storm that all of us face because of our sin? Do you know why he did it? So that we can have peace in all the other storms that we face. Like Him. Because we have peace with God. And we don't, we don't fear rejection. We don't fear death. We don't fear failure. We don't fear the future. We don't feel the loss of the sun in our face because we are Christ and Christ is ours. Because of the, 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 uh, the tremendous profound meaning of what it means to be truly and absolutely Saved. Saved from anything that should ever cause us harm. Thus taking that fear right away. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. You know, the good news is is that 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 joy that those angels were talking about 2,000 years ago is a joy that is available to everybody here this morning who has never experienced the peace that comes with God because of the good news, because of the gospel, because Jesus in love weathered that ultimate storm so that we would never have to. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front. If there are ways that we can minister to you this morning, we want you to come down and talk to these shepherds. Let's all stand and praise God together.
Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare.